This episode, we're going to talk about Yoko. Um, she's a big part of the final year or two of the Beatles story. Um, and she takes up an extraordinary amount of space <laughs> in the Beatles history. Yes. Um, so we're going to talk about her and her big dick. Yeah. No, <laughs> Yoko's big proverbial dick. And what's, God bless her. God bless her. And what's so interesting is she, um, she's been such an integral part of the Beatles myth-making post-breakup up until present day. And so Absolutely. it's really important to talk about her. And we want to talk about her in the right way. Although I don't think we're wanting to really sugarcoat anything. Absolutely not. So I think, it, uh, you know, we're not going to be condescending here and talk about her like we need to be on eggshells. We're not on eggshells with any of these people. Yep. Here, okay. So we're not going to do that. And um, I'm not going to demonize her for anything that she didn't do. Yep. <laughs> um, so let me just start off by saying this. So sometimes every once in a while I will hear people who are less, usually new to the fandom, sometimes people who are old to the fandom as well, um, will wonder aloud or will accuse people of being racist and sexist towards Yoko. Mm -hmm. And I think this is an excellent instinct <laughs> because people are racist. People are super racist and people do hate women. Yep. These are absolutely true things. And that also includes people in the Beatles fandom mm -hmm. and people at large and people who write books and, you know, probably people in the Beatles circle, too, because we grew up in a world that that's racist and hates women. That's just the reality of how the world is. Right. Sorry. So um, that's true. Yeah. M much of the world's superpowers are based on white imperialism and patriarchy. Yeah. I, that's what we are dealing with yeah. still right now. We are no fools, right? <laughs> like, we know this. <laughs> when we're going to assume that if you're listening to this podcast, that you're well aware of it as well, right? We hope by this point everybody yeah. is pretty cool about that and you know what's up. <laughs> okay. And I have noticed a bit of a trend lately, particularly amongst the older male fans or the older fans, to give Yoko this sort of retroactive credit for being such a profound influence on John Lennon mm. because what other value could she have? Right. She right. <laughs> only has value relative to John, although it's not really critical. It's more like a, just a, like a clumsy attempt to make up for the misogyny of the past. Yeah. It sort of feels like a, like a post me too pandering yes. type of like, let's recognize and celebrate Yoko and prove her not sexist. Right. We're so woke. Give us yeah, cookies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but there's still like no actual accounting mm -hmm. for her behavior as a human being or like criticism of her work as an artist. It's just right. like, you know, oh, we're going to correct the record now and not be sexist in this new millennia. Right. But then they miss so many interesting things about the the myth building that happened i think <laughs> by right. refusing they, they they're so scared to kind of um to explore that piece of it 
because they don't want to be viewed as being sexist because they're being critical. Right. So. It's like, he, no, I think you guys are missing the entire thing. It's just don't be sexist. That's it. That's right. all, that's all that's you all it need takes. to do. So it's just stop being <laughs> sexist. And then otherwise, go as hard on her as you go on Paul, for example. Right. You know? or, <laughs> or anybody or else. Alan Klein or anyone else you go hard on. Yeah, exactly. Like, she can take it. That's mm-hmm. that's the whole point. It's not to it's not that everything women does is okay. It's mm-hmm. that you it's it's treat everybody equally. Right. I so mean, anyway. she's a human being too. Right. She can also fuck up. Yes. <laughs> and she can all, and she's smart, you know? Yeah. It's like you're letting her out smart, you guys. Right. <laughs> so, it's working. Seriously. It's, it's like, working. It is She's outsmarting. She's outmaneuvered all of y'all. Like, (laughs) my basic take of her, I'm just going to give you an intro, sort of my backstory. I think it's fair to say that I like Yoko in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, I would probably be classified as a fan in a lot of ways. (laughs) Um, I, I like several of John and Yoko's albums. Like, I love uh, Two Virgins. And I like Life from the Lions. I haven't heard the wedding album all the way through. That one's not really my favorite. (laughs) So some other stuff I really like. Um, Some of it, not so much. I love her album Fly. Oh, yeah. I really really enjoy that that one's cool. Her sort of like soft cooing little vocal. Like on Remember Love and stuff like that. Like I like that stuff. I'm not, I've never been a person who like fast forwarded through her tracks on, you know, I'm just not like I listen to Double Fantasy and I'm like, skip Yoko. Right. (laughs) Her songs on Double Fantasy and Milk and Honey are pretty perfectly good. A lot of them, actually, like a lot of them I really feel. I do too. I like them. And when I got into the Beatles at first, I don't, it might be because like I grew up on new wave and punk when I was younger. Yeah. So it just, she never bothered me. I didn't really understand what the, what the big problem was, mm-hmm. you know, like I never had a bad reaction to her. Um, you know, aesthetically, I kind of dig her as well. Yeah. Um, I don't have that. Sometimes from the male population, there's like a, there's like a repulsion of her. Yeah. There's like, oh, she can't sing. She's just screaming. And there's like, there's no attempt to even get into her work and give it a chance before they write it off. I I definitely feel like not from everybody, not from everybody, not all men, but there's (laughs) like definitely an element of like, well, I don't want to fuck her. So why is she, why do I have to look at her? Right. Like that thing. Like, I definitely don't feel that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, I didn't bring any of that into into the Beatles when I started to get into them. So I don't have that baggage. So I didn't really understand why people hated her so much. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of my backstory going in. My Yoko origin story is a little bit different in that I didn't really listen to Yoko's music until a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And I'm in my 30s, so... And it's not because I hate her like a lot of fans do or that I didn't think her music was any good. It just didn't, like, as a young teen, when I was first getting into the band, it wasn't really easy for me to access her stuff 
or even her and John's stuff, like the life with the lions and the two versions and all of that. And then I kind of like my Beatles fandom has always been ongoing, but there was several years that I didn't saturate myself in Beatles quite the way I do now or the way I did when I first got into them. So then I kind of, it's not that I lost interest. It's just that like the Beatles were always a part of my playlist and on my mind, you know, as mm-hmm. a fan, but I wasn't seeking out extra Beatles stuff like I do mm-hmm. now. So yeah, same. Uh, that'd take years off. <laughs> just mm-hmm. kind of forget about yeah. it for a couple years. <laughs> I never really did buy into the whole thing about John's post Beatles work being superior because of Yoko's influence. Um, I just kind of thought of it as something different rather than something worse or better. Mm-hmm. And I also kind of like, I really got into punk and new wave and uh, all sorts of different music in my teen years. So by the time I did get around to hearing album or hearing Yoko's albums, like it didn't jar me or shock me. Yeah. I don't know. People would say things like, Oh my God, it's just torture to listen to. But, like, to me, it just sounded like two people having fun playing with recording equipment and musical instruments and having a little fun making some weird sounds. So just having a nice time exploring the studio. I don't get, like, that visceral, angry reactions that some, you know, some fans have to these things. (laughs) Yeah, I don't either. So, yeah, I think, like, since both of us had sort of been exposed to some different things when we were younger, hearing Yoko's music wasn't that shocking. I really like Fly. I think that's a great yeah, album. Yeah, me too. Like, a few of the tracks on that just really stand out to me, and I really love them. Like, I really like Hiraki. Like, it's really, really funky. I love that. Um, I love Oh Wind. I love Mind Holes. Like, yeah. Um, it has excellent guitar work on it, My and like, is the bomb. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking slaps. <laughs> well, it slaps. It's like, um, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, like she's screaming, she's wailing. I'm like, yeah, and this one, it's like kind of this guttural, soulful, like, yeah, like heart rending kind of sound that she's going for, and it really works. Yeah. So. I mean, I, you know, I, I sometimes it doesn't work for me. Yeah, you know, right. I mean, not I, I, everything. Yeah, really puts my boat. And sometimes, it's yeah. like, especially when she gets going, I'm like, <laughs> like that. Can go on. I don't want to hear that for 20 minutes. But then again, yeah. I'm not a jam type gal. Like, I don't want to hear yeah. anybody jam for 20 minutes. Anyway, I just wanted to give her music some airtime because I feel like the Beatles fandom is so dominated by jean jackets and other basic bitch types that both the godfather of lo-fi, Paul McCartney, and <laughs> warbling bitch goddess Yoko Ono don't get enough attention paid to their progressive contributions to popular music. You know, did you ever see the Imagine movie that they made oh yeah that was my first exposure to john lennon the the movie that they john and yoko made mm-hmm. i love that i love that movie yeah I it, was, it was beautiful it was super cute yeah 
Yeah, exactly. It's just a giant music video. But, like, I liked that. So I kind of like their aesthetic. They, they have a good look at that period. Yeah. And they're not running their mouths. I did, you know, find their version of their romance story very compelling as a young person, though. Like, the Ballad of John and Yoko version of their relationship. I thought it was cute. I thought it was, like, they fell in love. It was so beautiful. Um they were soft. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> in the, in the, the, the soft John and Yoko aesthetic, I loved from the get-go. Yeah. I thought it was really beautiful. I was like, oh, that's a yeah. couple right there. That's a couple in love. That's awesome. Go them. Anyway, so the one area where I do think Yoko was exceptionally gifted is branding and marketing. Yeah. And it's funny <laughs> because I often hear people talk of John and Yoko's um, peace movement publicity stunts is brilliant because they were innovative ways to sell or promote peace, which <laughs> is exactly what Yoko and John told us they were. Yeah. Um, which is, <laughs> I, you know, I guess that's a hot take. I mean, you're literally like just repeating their press release, but um, <laughs> personally, I think it was a brilliant way to rebrand and commodify the image of John Lennon as a peace activist. Yeah. And for Yoko to marry her name and image with John's and like immortalizing herself in the process. Mm-hmm. Because after the bed in, they had all this currency as counterculture figures, oh, which yeah. they were then able to take to the bank. Mm-hmm. And it's still going. Absolutely. I mean, Yoko has lived <laughs> off of that income ever since and still does to this day. Oh, yeah. The image of John Lennon as a commodity, it, it's still going on. You see it all the time on her social. She's like, they're selling all of these products and there are all of these events. And yeah, it's just kind of a perpetual thing that's going to go on forever, probably. Right. And this is apart from any, uh, this is, it's not to say that they didn't care about war or whatever. Like that's, that, that might be true, but that's sort of beside the point. Mm -hmm. It was an act of self-promotion. It framed as, as a promotion for peace, which is. I mean, that is the biggest bullshit I've ever heard. You know, I mean, it's like, so, so like I'm saying, it's brilliant in that respect. It's brilliant in the fact that you bought it, you know, yeah. and that like people like Mark Lewison are buying it in 2019 and like telling everybody. How brilliant it is. Right. How, yeah. So, how innovative and how, like what pioneers they were. Like yeah. pioneers of what? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> like to that extent. Yeah, like Yoko <laughs> is brilliant. She's like way smarter than Mark Lewis and you know what I'm saying. But like, you know, again, I'm not saying that she was pro-war secretly or anything. Right. I mean, <laughs> whatever. But it's like you're so you're against Vietnam. What that's like the most low-hanging fruit. Who yeah. was not against the? <laughs> anyway, so I think without a doubt, the biggest thing she contributed as John's partner was marketing. Mm -hmm. She was very, very savvy when it came to shaping the narrative and her and John's favor, and she knew exactly how to paint the opposition, a.k.a. Paul, to make him Mr. Uncool Guy. Mm -hmm. And they started dubbing Paul the PR beetle out of the gate, and that Mm. one still survives to this day. 
Oh my god, I see YouTube comments if there's a press conference from the Beatles and he's like smiling a little more. <laughs> right. Like, look at him smiling. It's just Paul the PR man. Ha ha. Well, it's like, you know, Trump is very good at it too, where it's like he 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 can zero in on something that is true and then sort of just like weaponize it. So they took something that people know about Paul, like that he's friendly and that he's not going to curse out a reporter you know like that's just not he's he's not gonna do that he was not raised that way right right? so they took that and they and they just sort of built on it and they're like oh well he's false and pr and we're (laughs) just being real even though there is a mountain of actual data to the contrary it doesn't matter because john and yoko said it over and over again and just because, like, Paul is naturally, like we said, more more cautious, more private, and less yeah. personally revealing in interviews, people bought into this thing of, like, he's just full of shit and he's PR. I mean, he yeah. is full of shit, but, like, no more so than anybody else. Right. right. Yeah, any showbiz figure is not going to divulge every private bit of info yeah. about their lives in an interview. And yet in the two years after the breakup, after the Beatles breakup, John and Yoko did 12 major interviews and over 50 radio appearances. That's I, staggering. That's, yes, right? I found that that's out from Aaron. Over, <laughs> overwhelming. Like, I can't even imagine go, like talking to that many reporters in that short of a period of time. I mean, they were on TV, uh, you know, at every opportunity. Yeah. Just nonstop, like anything to get on TV. Sitting in bags and like (laughs) laying in bed and, you know, throwing (laughs) acorns and just anything. (laughs) So uh, like it was a calculated PR campaign Mm -hmm. to gain control of the Beatles story, brand John as a misunderstood genius, and to damage Paul McCartney's stature as an artist. And they were really, really good at it. Oh, yeah. And I recently found out that they actually got professional media coaching from Marshall McLuhan, too. Wow. At this period when they're doing this massive PR campaign. So that was calculated. I mean, they're trying to send out a definite message, and they're trying to create a new narrative that they get to dominate. Well, yeah, it's like, it's as calculated as any political campaign. Paul is now their, like, their opponent, their political opponent. Right. They've said all of this stuff about him. Some of it, you know, rings true because it's based in facts. Of course, those are always the best. It's not going to gain any traction if there's no truth to it, right? They take things about him that are that are that are true, and then they blow them up, extrapolate them, and sort of fictionalize or spin it the way that they want to. And then they put on, like, they put on all the dressing of counterculture figures, right? Mm-hmm. So they say, we, we're on your side. We're the good guys. Um, we're the revolutionaries. Paul is old school and we're new school. Right. And they just flipped it like that. Like they, and they did a great job. Yeah, mission accomplished. I mean, and it was a professional <laughs> hit job. I just, just like... Be a little bit more savvy, people. When you read mm-hmm. when you read this stuff, it's like, give yeah. me a break. Take it with an iceberg-sized piece of salt. I'd never really like got into the boomer narrative of like Yoko sucks and she broke up the band, but I did find that like 
as I got to know the band a little better and I got to read more about them, I couldn't help but notice um, the role she played. And I feel like my opinions of her as just a human being and opinions of her as an artist and then opinions of her role in all of this stuff can be compartmentalized. Yoko has shaped a lot of the Beatles story because she she reinvented John when they met. Um, that's not a dig. No, I think he was extremely grateful to her for that. Mm-hmm. You know, she remade him in her image or whatever, in the way that <laughs> that gave him a new identity apart from Paul. Yeah, and he he wanted that. He, I guess, needed it. He wasn't able to do it on his own. He wasn't able to do it on his own, and he really wanted it. And she gave it to him, and I genuinely believe that he was forever grateful to her for that specifically. Mm-hmm. So there's that. And she does, she owns his image. Yeah. I mean, she, she owns, she owns all of his stuff, all of his money, all of his image. She controls it. Mm-hmm. So, and he let that happen. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, she is his widow. She inherited all of that stuff and she's in control of it. And I'm not even saying that I think he wouldn't, want her to have control of it you know yeah by all account you know it seems like he did want her to have all control of all of it so yeah he wanted his <laughs> spouse you know his partner to yeah right. and if he didn't then it was incumbent on him to to change it <laughs> say otherwise yeah yeah exactly so i don't begrudge her any of that uh, whatsoever she owns john she can do whatever she wants with john However, the part where I, I, I think we need to draw boundaries and push back a little bit, if, if, if you actually want to talk about the Beatles accurately and like give a historic record that's truthful and fair, that you can't let her craft the last two years of the Beatles story. Absolutely. That, it's just not fair. It's, not, it, it's just not fair. She, does, she doesn't have the right to write Paul's biography. Right. Any more than he has the right to, 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 to write hers. So let's get that straight. And this is the this is the part where it bleeds in. So this is the only reason why I'm even being critical of it to begin with. Because, again, if it's their story, who gives a shit? Right. They can do whatever they want with yeah, it. Yeah, if it's just John and Yoko and their relationship, not folding the other Beatles in, not folding yes. Paul specifically in or making him a part of that story, then totally like tell whatever you right. want. But exactly. but you're bringing exactly. other like, people be... into it and you're bringing other people's yes. lives and legacies into it and you're changing it around to make it yes. what you want it to be so that you're minimizing the other person's contributions to your husband's life and legacy. And that's where it becomes unfair and problematic, in my opinion. That's exactly, exactly it. So the origin story, let's start there. Oh, yes. So, <laughs> uh, and the idea that Yoko just sort of wandered into John's life and they fell in love and some were creative, artistic, you know, soulmates on a level that, that John and Paul could never be. Oh, yeah. And that she, thank God that she came along and taught him how to do art, like that sort of thing. It's extremely demeaning to Paul. And John, for that matter. John, that's true. I mean, like, John was, no, like, in his teen years, John was preparing to be an artist. He wasn't going to class when he should have, okay, but <laughs> but he was writing the Daily Howl. He was making cartoons. He was doing stuff. 
Well, and more to the point, it's like they have they have they're the most famous band on the planet when she meets them. Yeah, like, what so are we she's, talking about? So as an artist, he was well established and evolved. I think we've established yeah. that he was doing pretty good. Right. It wasn't she didn't meet him in nineteen fifty eight and and secretly groom him to become Beatle John. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So 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 that idea that she just sort of came in and like how she put it over she and John put it around like, well, Yoko didn't even know who the Beatles were. Oh, who the I mean, fuck would not John, know who the Beatles were? <laughs> John came into the to the gallery and like he was so mesmerized by her and she was like, Who is this English fool <laughs> you know it's like ridiculous yeah. <laughs> okay so first of all let's break this down uh, so paul had a friend barry miles who he was hanging around with a lot in 1965 he was dating jane asher at the time and he was good friends with her brother peter they actually he actually lived in the asher's home <laughs> right yep so peter is not peter is his sort of it's his girlfriend's brother, right? So it's like kind of his brother-in-law, whatever. And also his roommate, right? right? Yeah. Because he lives in the house with them. And then Paul's friend, Barry, Miles, they get together. And with the third guy, John Dunbar, Dunbar the three of them open Indica Bookshop. Then also they add on to that the Indica Gallery. So it's a it's a it's like an indie alternative bookshop and art gallery. Mm-hmm. John Dunbar is married to... Marianne Faithful, who Paul's good friends with, and he's also, by the way, having an affair with their nanny, yeah. but, which I mentioned only only to illustrate how how deeply enmeshed Paul is with this enterprise, right? With Indica, okay. He's not an owner; he's a financial backer, right? He's an investor, yeah. So he's he's one of the prime investors, and he draws the flyers. You know, it's like so. It's kind of like a little pet side project of his. Yeah has nothing to do with the Beatles. Mm-hmm. This is how Yoko gets introduced into the Beatle world. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She was in a collective um, called Fluxus. So she's buddies with John Cage. Yep. And it's the name drop that she takes to Paul's house in 1965 because he is a financial backer of Indica Gallery. And she, she goes to him with the premise that she's looking for manuscripts, she's going to give them to John Cage as a birthday present or something. Paul says, no, thank you. But his version is, and here's John's number. Yeah, I, mm. <laughs> so, um, fast forward in time, she has a show at Indica in 66, and that's where she meets John for the first time. Although, obviously, they don't get together as a couple for another year and a half almost. Mm-hmm. So let's start there. <laughs> Not only does she know who the Beatles are because she comes to Paul's house. Right. People, she came to his she house. She came to 7 Cavendish Avenue and knocked on the front gates or however That's you... exactly yep. right. <laughs> so if she doesn't know that Paul is a Beatle from Beatle Pop Group because she doesn't pay attention to popular culture, then she knows him as a... As a, a fan of avant-garde music. Yep. Because she comes to him asking for a manuscript to give to John Cage. Obviously, she knows Paul is a composer. Mm-hmm. She knows he is a successful, famous composer. She knows he has an interest in the avant-garde. And she drops John Cage's name to pique his interest. Yep. So let's start there. The fact that, like, John and Yoko then omitted all of that... And turned it into, like, Paul is just some 
dumbass, shallow granny music, bitch, that doesn't understand about their avant-garde music. Right. It would just, it would blow his tiny, narrow mind. Right. Like, no, he was involved in that world long before John ever that got involved. Me, like, that makes me mad. Yeah. You know? No, no, it, it's upsetting. It's, and it's like the fact that no one in Beatles history has corrected that or has made any effort to correct that should make everybody angry. Right. I mean, that's an enormous oversight. Mm-hmm. An enormous oversight. It is. And then when Paul tried to correct the record, he's accused of being defensive. I'm like, well, damn straight he is. It's his life. It, it's, it's fundamentally disrespectful to Paul. To imply that that Yoko brought in some sort of artfulness that Paul lacked. Right. Right? Because at that point, Paul was the artsy beetle. Mm-hmm. That's why she went to him. And, you know, if in case nobody noticed, <laughs> he was responsible for, like, Rock's first concept album. It's called Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band. Never heard of it. It's available on iTunes. <laughs> you should check it out. It's, it's, it's actually really cool. <laughs> It's um, it's like kind of psychedelic, kind of <laughs> but it's but it's in but it's like a pop album, so it's it's amazing. It's pop and it art. It really changed things for 1967. Like a lot of people really like that album. Yeah. So <clears throat> you should check that album out. <laughs> um, I'm not trying to say that Yoko didn't bring a different vibe than Paul. I mean, yeah. she's a different person. Right. Right. And I'm not saying she didn't have an influence on John, but. But but it's framed as if she, like the Beatles had never heard of avant-garde music until her, and then she puts it that way too. It's like, oh well, they just did this dumb pop music that was stupid, and then I was into highbrow concept art, and I brought it in, and thank God I gave John some depth because he was just writing twist and shout before I came. All right. <laughs> That's so stupid on so many levels, and it's. Like I said, it's it's massively insulting to Paul McCartney, mm-hmm. who is the one who like gave John a Stockhausen album. Yeah. Oh, there's this cool song on Sgt. Pepper that you should check out. It's called "A Day in the Life." Fuck yeah. It's at the end of the album. <laughs> it's like not really like a traditional sort of pop song because there's this um, symphonic swirl in the middle of it. Um, which Paul, who had been listening to John Cage, said to George Martin that he wanted to, to you know, he described this cage-like avant-garde. Uh, orchestral swell. They uh, called it an orgasm. Yes. <laughs> musical orgasm. Yes. Orgasm that, that of sound. sounds more like Paul. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, so he, so he's the one who who brought that into the Beatles' music. It's Paul. It's not Yoko Ono. Yeah. It is Paul McCartney. He is the one who brought like a John Cage avant-garde influence into the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Paul McCartney, he is also a Beatle, a member of the Beatles, deserving <laughs> of credit for Beatle music. Yes. Right? Okay. I just want to be very clear about this because it seems like a lot of people don't get this part. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, well, Paul, he wants credit. It's like, what he wants credit for having the first concept album and for like the Apple logo and the white album cover with the negative space yeah. and the, the John Cage swirl and the like, so he wants credit for his work right? after he's been degraded. 
by John and Yoko and what he's literally been called like a shallow hack toonsmith. Mm -hmm. Not just by them, but like by books about the Beatles. Yeah. No, he has every right. Are you serious right now? Every right to push back against that in any possible way. How dare you even take issue with that? Yeah, it's right. Would you not want the credit for the things you did? What's even the argument there? That he should just shut up and look pretty? Oh, I, I think that's one of the reasons why one of the things that, it, that, that, <laughs> that complicates their relationship. Let's put it that way. Um, she stole his swag. She Like, artistically. She took that avant-garde mantle from him. And, and then, like, just aggressively demoted him to, like, shallow hack tunesmen. Mm-hmm. He's the Salieri to John's Mozart. I will never, right? never, yes. ever, <laughs> ever get over that. Okay, as a fan. I, like, what kind of drugs well, that, are you doing right now? <laughs> that one's just stupid. Yeah. That, that's that, like, it was rude, too. It's so rude. It's just, it's that's the opposite. That's like Trump going, you're the puppet. Right. It's like, like, wait, John is Mozart and Paul is. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. Like, no. So so, I'm sorry. Wait, John is the one who wakes up with full melodies in his head. John is is the one who walks into the studios and knows like where the piccolo. Oh, I see. Oh, okay. And, and, and wait. And then Paul was there to, to like, write down the notes of John's Or to music? transcribe what he came up with. Yeah, no. You mean like Paul and George Martin? Yeah, like yeah, they're really <laughs> like mixing. Kind of she was really mixing up the timeline in her little observation it was just, there. It, it was nothing but just being nasty. Yeah. It, it doesn't even make sense. It's like, what is that? An, get it. Yeah, that's just an immaturity just thing. That's a dig. You know, it's like, dumb. we're just going to get in a dig at Paul. Well, it's not so much an analogy as it was, it was just like a clumsy attempt to say that that John was a genius and Paul was just a tin pan alley, you know, <sighs> like he's just shuffling in the alley, like with his hat out you know? <laughs> like, as if Paul came along and saw John's compositional gifts and was like, I'm going to follow him around. Oh, wait till he says something brilliant and then I'll just write it down. <laughs> And I'll, I don't know. This is, <laughs> this is really weird. But so that's what I'm saying. It's like she, she Yoko is very aggressive. I'm not going to go through and nitpick really terrible, very aggressive things that she said about Paul yeah. and some about Linda um, and some of the other Beatles. Like I think she said yeah. some shit about George. I don't think she yeah. said anything negative about Ringo because Ringo is a pretty you know like what are you going to say about him? Uh, yeah, he's cool. He's, he's, he's cool, he's cool with, everybody. with everybody. This isn't an episode about why Yoko sucks. Yeah, I'm not, it's not a pinpointing not grievances about. with her. I'm, I'm just going through like where it's problematic, again, in the Beatles' history. Mm-hmm. Nobody has a sane, normal conversation about Yoko. It's like nobody can talk about her like she's a normal person. Mm-hmm. You know it's really I mean? difficult, it's like, yeah. It's always like she's... Like she's a witch, or she's just yeah. magical, and she's she's just, hypnotizing she, him. She, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like she 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 pussy whipped him. Or John's motives are never 
questioned. Mm-hmm. It's always just like he somehow lost his mind when she came around, either due to magic <laughs> or sex or something. I don't, <laughs> or I don't, sex magic. It's very weird. Who knows? But it's like, I don't think that she's like some witch with this agenda to like whatever, whatever. Like, yeah. I, honestly, I think she just wanted to be famous. I mean, she's not that different from... She is an artist. I'm not saying she's not an artist. Yeah. But she was an artist who wanted to be famous like most artists do. I mean, John and Paul wanted to be famous too. Right. And also, I don't have a problem with like her sleeping her way into the fame because it's like, you know, for a long time... That was the only... Women didn't have a lot of choice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there weren't a lot of options available. Sometimes that was the way to get up. Uh, Exactly. Not to make a bad pun. (laughs) Even into, uh, I mean, politics and like, you know, corporate, your access to power was through your husband. Mm -hmm. And that's just the way that it is. So I'm not, I don't, I don't take an issue with that either. Same. What bothers me is, uh, just going back to the origin story for a minute, is how everyone just kind of buys the love at first sight thing. Because when you look at the actual timeline of events, and when you look at John's initial reaction to her, according to testimony from yes, people who are around, he, he kind of more took her with a bit of bemusement you know at the yes. at the start it wasn't like he gazed into the eyes of this magical woman and they were no. instant star-crossed soulmates forever no. and that like it really he yeah thought she was a flake yeah like oh, you know that. he he thought the art was like whatever they were i love pretentious art I'm yeah not, i'm not i'm not bagging on her art right it's fine. Like, I love Stockhausen. <laughs> so all that stuff is, is perfectly fine. To, but it is pretentious. I mean, come on. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, it is goofy. It's yep. it's fucking goofy with the the magnifying glass and shit like that. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, but, and they would go on at length about how it's fine to laugh at us. We'll be the clowns. You know, it's we have an amazing sense of humor. <laughs> they would say, you know, they've said that a thousand times <laughs> in 69, whatever. A lot yeah. of it is just, it's just for public. It's just for fame. Yeah, it's, it's a shock publicity. value fame It's shock attention. Value. So it's like if you do heroin and then you miscarry and then you make an album out of that. And then you ask people for sympathy, like that's bold. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, and I'm again, I'm not, I'm not here to judge her as a mother, you know, or as a pregnant person. Like, I don't care about that. I'm not saying that she needs to, f- whatever. Yeah. But like, you had a miscarriage, and then. You just stuck the heartbeat on an album. Again, it was shocking. Mm-hmm. I remember hearing that when I was like 13 and like, yeah, it's shocking. It is. And I get that it's art and, I, and I'm not judging how if that was her way of grieving or something that's fine that's not for me to say yeah i mean i don't know how much she was doing and i and i can't i'm not her ob so i can't prove that you know that's what caused the miscarriage i mean miscarriages fucking happen but bragging about how truthful your art is and stuff if you were truthful you might have like you would have owned why the pregnancy 
was lost, why the baby was lost, you would have been like, oh, I was doing these drugs. Like, just sticking your picture, like the hospital picture on the album cover and being like, we're martyrs. Mm-hmm. Like, that is ballsy. It is ballsy. That It really is. But ba- that's what I'm saying about Yoko. It's like, there's a level of just sort of narcissism about her as an artist mm-hmm. that I that's not especially charming <laughs> again I don't need I don't need women to be cuddly moms no I don't need them to be cuddly people I don't yeah need to have to, to like to want to fuck them yeah maybe charming was like, a bad word for she, me to use <laughs> she, no but I'm saying it's like she can be a terrible person right and that's fine mm-hmm. she doesn't she's under no obligation to be whatever I want her to be precisely you know what I mean but at the same time it's like then you can't brag about how uh, what a fearless artist you are or what a martyr you are yeah, you can't <laughs> you know? have it both ways is what you're saying but yeah she's not obligated to be you know earth mother charming cuddly cute lady for everybody but at the same time don't try to play that card well Yoko do you want to be treated as a human being you know what I mean? It's like, I judge you as a human being. I don't judge you as, like, a lady. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, be... Be accountable. Mm-hmm. When I was in producing that, when I was in India, although I hadn't realized I was thinking about her all the time in India, but I was, I conceived this album cover of her being naked because her work was so pure. I couldn't think of any other way of presenting it. It wasn't as a sensational idea or anything. It was just, what, how can you express this, this person on an album cover? I just thought, she should be naked on the front. And then when we got home, when I came home from India, I realized that I'd been thinking about her because I was in love with her. But still I'd been thinking intellectually about art and on that level, you know. My ex-wife was away somewhere in Italy, and Yoko and I, she came to visit me, and we took acid. And we were, I didn't, you know, I didn't, I was always shy with her, and she was shy, and so instead of making love, we went upstairs and made tapes, you know, because I had this room full of different tapes where I would write and make strange loops and things like that, for Beatles stuff. And we made tape all night, and she was doing her funny voices, and I was, pushing all different buttons on my tape recorders and getting sound effects. And then as the sun rose, we made love. And that was it. And that was too virgin. So the thing is that John and Yoko crafted and, and tweaked this getting together story over the years and have generally attempted to gloss over it and paint Yoko as a romantic and artistic inspiration for John. Mm-hmm. Which is more or less true i think but um <laughs> although the uh, the devil as always is in the details yeah certainly no one but john can say for sure what was really going on in his mind although what we do know is that yoko had been stalking john for about 18 months by the time they finally got together in may of 68 when they make these tapes and she had really intensified her pursuit towards the end and when you Talk about stalking. Can you clarify that a little bit? Absolutely. Well, I mean, when I say stalking, I don't mean that she she threatened him physically or anything. I mean, um, she was sending mail to his house, calling his home so often he changed his phone number repeatedly. 
Mm -hmm. At one point, she jumped into his car and wedged herself between John and Cynthia, his wife. Another time, she threatened to kill herself if John didn't give her money for her art show. And then, mm -hmm. and then finally, she also bombarded him with mail, uh, packages, postcards, etc., while he was in India. Mm -hmm. um, and John has consistently said that he never had a sexual or romantic thought about Yoko until he invited her into his house in May and they made those two versions tapes. Like that, mm -hmm. that was the beginning of their um, romantic, you know, kindling or whatever. That was when they fell in love. And according to everyone, prior to his return from India, uh, whenever Yoko would show up to John's house or to the studio to the, where the Beatles were, John found her annoying and kind of amusing. <laughs> like he was curious about her, but also she was a pain in his ass. Um, and in the quote we just played, which was from 1980, John is still saying he wasn't romantically interested in, in her until they did the two virgins, but that in retrospect, he must have been falling in love from afar while he was in <laughs> India. <laughs> yeah. And it's really easy to have that kind of selective memory when you're thinking in hindsight, though. I think a lot of people do that, not just John. So I, I think it, it seems reasonable that in that moment he'd be like yeah well i must have been falling in love with her yeah i mean it it's you know it could be convenient or it could be true or it could be both you know i mean definitely she was we know that like in india in in the at least the last half of his stay there he was suicidal and he was you know extremely distraught and mm -hmm getting those postcards from her might have been a lifeline for him. Right. I mean, that does make sense. Mm -hmm. You know, if he feels like he has nothing in his life and he's getting, you know, postcards from Yoko every day that say like, look up in the sky or, you know, like whatever <laughs> they say. You I'm know, a cloud. Like, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> you know, maybe he, even though he's like, oh, that's from my kooky stalker. You know, it's like maybe he looked forward to those every day. That I mean, that does make sense. So yeah, as far as that story goes, I mean, you can take it or leave it. But to me, it's kind of that's kind of convoluted to say that she inspired everything about the White Album because that doesn't square with the emotions of any of those songs that he wrote in India. Yeah, like not a single one of them is about new love or even about right. hope. I mean, you right. know, it's like th none of them have anything to do with that. So, And new love is euphoric. Like most people in the throes of new love are writing all kinds of songs. Well, exactly. The new spin on the White Album is like, oh, we have to give Yoko credit for, you know, inspiring John to write all these songs. And it's like, well, all of his songs are about <laughs> how he wants to die. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. <laughs> so I don't really know where you're going with that. And just, like, weaving her into that story kind of makes me suspicious because it doesn't really connect for me. Like, it doesn't really make sense. Mm -mm. You know, it's like how John said, Girl, the song that he wrote in 1965, was a fantasy about Yoko years before he had even met her. <laughs> right? It's just, like, it's yeah. convenient. It doesn't really make, it doesn't really, it's like, okay, John, so... Your fantasy, your definitely not real fantasy, is for <laughs> a gorgeous, self-centered partner who strings you along for years with empty promises, <laughs> fills you with painfully unrequited longing, 
works you like a dog. And yet, even when you want to, you can't let go. All right, it's a very weird and specific fantasy, but sure, okay. (laughs) (laughs) The thing for me about the the love story of John and Yoko is that it's so performative. Like, between the two virgins cover, the erection film, which is just John's penis, Mm -hmm. um, the sex tape that... John brought in to work and made the Beatles listen to. People do that, right? You just take sex tapes into work and make all your colleagues listen to. <laughs> I mean, that's like a wedding shower, you know, like it's just part of tradition. Yeah, right. First you have the sex tape that you make all your friends listen to. <laughs> then you have an engagement party and then you have a wedding shower. The honeymoon bed in the art show with the sexy lithographs, and just <laughs> and just like the relentless press statements of how much in love they were. Yeah, right. It's just it's exhausting how mm. hard they're trying to sell this romance. It would be more persuasive to me if I just heard them talking about how wonderful each other were. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean. Like, that is an excellent point. You never hear either one of them really extrapolate on what they actually like and love about the other person. Right. You just hit me. I mean, you do hear them championing each other's art. Yeah. But again, that sounds like a, it sounds like a partnership, like a business and artistic partnership. Yeah. You don't hear, you know, like, well, she's just really supportive and he's just really sweet to me and you know, does nice things and yeah, he's exactly. really considerate. Yeah, There's like you don't hear those kind stuff of stuff that happened or anything. It's like they're literally saying we're so in love with each other. You know, like it, it, it's, a, it's <laughs> almost like they're just reading from a prepared statement. That's why they're so exhausting to me. Mm-hmm. They're just trying so hard. Everything, about, oh, you know, way too hard. They're looking into the camera like, like slapping their bodies together going look how sexy we are you know it's like we're so sexing each other constantly we can't keep our hands off each other's sex parts it's like okay but i guess so yeah it really it it comes across kind of adolescent to me too because you know how like when teenagers first start dating other teenagers they're really showy about it groping each other like yeah look at us we're just so together yeah but they're not even really doing that I mean, that's true. You know, it's like, you know, again, it's no affectation. No one disputes that they were together twenty four seven. For sure, they were that. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, they were definitely attached to the hip. When you're in love with someone, you know, typically you want to be alone with them. It's always look at us. It's not like they're never looking at each other. You know. Yeah, that's a good point too. They're always both looking at the camera. Yeah. Hmm. And the problem for me is that no one addresses that. Mm-hmm. Like if they are just whatever, the people who support them or what have you would be like, well, they're not typical because they're just so artistic or whatever, you know, <laughs> um, them being different and weird isn't the issue. John and Yoko are still just like a man and a woman sticking body parts in other body parts. It's not like they reinvented <laughs> the meaning of sex or something. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So it's not like different rules apply to them because they're genius or something. It's like they're just <laughs> they're just a weird couple. Like if they're more intellectual or collaborative, you know, they have more of a platonic partnership, then that's one thing. Like yeah. that's fine. You know? And if their sexual yeah. relationship is is mostly for the cameras that's fine too like i'm not judging that 
because, you know, who cares? Maybe they get off on it. That's cool. (laughs) But um, that actually kind of makes them a little more interesting to me. You know what I mean? (laughs) Because that makes them even weirder. Right. That's intriguing. Right. Um, And they can just be that. Like, if they owned that, I would like them more. Yeah. But they don't own it. They instead try to package it and sell it as this, like, but really, underneath it all... We're just a Hallmark romance. You know, we're just a little boy and a little girl who fell in love. That type of stuff. And it rings so false to me. But when someone like Mark Lewison, who is positioned to craft the Beatles' history for years and years to come, buys Mm. into that Hallmark version and then turns around and sells it to us, I'm not confident we're going to get the real story. Yeah. To a certain extent, that's not our business. But but to another extent, it is because they made it our business. Yeah, they shoved their relationship in our faces, in, in yeah. the public's faces, quite literally. They're like, look at us. Look at us doing this. Look at us doing that. Now you can see our bushes. <laughs> John, uh, you know, spent so much time screaming at everybody like, why don't you like us? We're the best couple ever. Right. We're in love. We're so fucking in love and you're just all jealous. It's like, John, calm down. It's like, maybe, maybe it's just that like, you guys are obnoxious. And nobody likes you. <laughs> it's just like, maybe just step back a second and chill. Right. If you're so into... Yoko, just go be into her. Right. Why are we involved? Like, why do we have to? Why do we have to validate your relationship all the time? Yeah. Well, just go live your life. Just go go to your farm in Scotland and have your kids and your dogs and fucking chill. Right. <laughs> That's what Paul did with Linda. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like if you guys want to make music, make music and just like if if people are like, oh, I don't like her, just be like, well, fuck you, I don't care, and keep moving. Mm-hmm. They took the concept of being a power couple and turned it into being like an aggressive couple. <laughs> like we're aggressively in love with each other to the expense of everyone else in our lives, and we're gonna show the entire world. I think they had a they had a concept of themselves as like this sort of yes, this sort of artistic power couple, which I think is a lovely ideal. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a great vision. I don't know how much they lived up to that. Because, again, they spent a lot of time degrading other people. Mm -hmm. They were not cool for a while. Yeah. And then they would aggressively tell you how cool and woke they were. (laughs) So... Seriously, yeah. it's like that's the pattern of every interview, and it's tiresome. Mm-hmm. So that I don't like about well, them. and if literally like, going back to the point of in sixty eight, sixty nine, you were saying pretty much everyone in the orbit was irritated by Yoko's presence. There has to be a reason for that. Well, and like Yoko, if you're such a strong artist and stuff, like go do your own art. Yeah. Why are you sitting in on a Beatles session? It's just, it's a mess. Yeah, and it's all stuff between John and Paul, and nobody wants to dissect it because it's like, it's always just put back on Yoko. Yeah. No, it was all about Yoko, and Paul is like jealous of John's new girlfriend. Is she the girlfriend, or is she the new artistic partner? If, if she's the girlfriend, why is she there? And if she's the artistic partner... Why is she there? Yeah, either way, her being there isn't appropriate at this point in time. Right. Because this is a different creative collective that she is not a part of. It's always like position, like Paul is jealous. It's like, why isn't the question, why is John bringing her? Like, what, yeah. is she there as his cheerleader? 
her boyfriend wanted her to be there, but she wasn't having any fun. Like, if you look at any footage of her in the studio with the Beatles, she's not enjoying herself, like, 99% of the time. And I'm like, why would a person subject themselves to being a tool that her boyfriend is using to get the goat or get the attention of the other guys in the band? Right. I sympathize with her on that front yeah. because it's not a good position for her to be in. She's like, John is literally using her as a wedge between him and the other guys. I mean, primarily Paul. Yeah. She, she's like, she's a wedge between him and Paul. And it's like, I feel for her mm-hmm. on that, in that respect. And especially because she becomes that wedge for the rest of her life. Yeah. It's, it's unfair to her. Mm-hmm. He's going through a terrible time with his husband, euphemistically, that he's breaking up with, and he wants her to be there for emotional support. I get that. Mm-hmm. But, like... My only beef with her is, like, why didn't you just put your foot down and be the strong woman you are? <laughs> and tell John, well, and, and again, like, no, go to the studio and I'll go do my art and then we'll see each other tonight. Shit. Right. And, then, yeah. and it's like, it's at some point in the 70s, I think this is about around the time they split up. Mm-hmm. She's complaining to somebody like, I want to be my own artist and I want to do my own art. And someone's like, well, then why do you put his fucking name on everything you do? Right. Your fame is polluted from the beginning. You didn't achieve that fame on your own. Mm-hmm. And we need to acknowledge that. It. I think, it, yeah, it was. Yeah. And unfortunately, you can't take that back now. But uh, yeah, I mean, what's she going to do? Right. At this point, she can't do anything about it. And, and that's the thing is like, I think it was a strain on their relationship. I think it was part of. I mean, this is a little bit of speculation, but I think it's probably part of what split them up in 73. Oh, yeah, totally. Because she's just getting... Kind of sidelined. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. And she wasn't expecting that. You're like, hey, you know, I sat in your stupid... You said you were devoted. Right, you, you said you were devoted. Yeah. I sat in your stupid band sessions being bored out of my <laughs> skull. Right. But, like, how many <laughs> fucking Chuck Berry covers can I sit through? <laughs> you know, just like... <laughs> She wasn't having a great time. And she put, you know, like, just to be fair and look at it from her side, she did put up with that situation for her husband's benefit. And it backfired on her. She didn't get anything back. That's a John and Yoko problem. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's, the, the part that I that I push back on is how she then just blamed it all on Paul. Yeah. It's like, you can only blame so much on Paul. You know, it's like, <laughs> Paul didn't engineer this situation. Paul didn't bring you into the studio. Paul, you know, didn't you, Paul didn't use you as a wedge. No, Paul didn't do anything. need to talk to your husband about <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, that was all John's doing. It's a projection thing, I think. It's just she needs somebody to resent about all of this, and John's not here. There's a quote from her from 2005. Somebody asks her, were you relieved when the Beatles broke up? And she was like, no, actually, because I always thought when when John is done with the Beatles, then I'll get to do my thing. And it was like that kind of never because the Beatles never went away. Yeah. On one hand, you know, why would they go away? They were the most important thing that any of them did you know what i mean it's like that that made them famous it defined their career they're the biggest band of all time like they're not going to go away surely you could have seen that coming yeah but at the same time i'm kind of like yeah i wouldn't want to be married to a guy who's carrying that much baggage around for the rest of his life yeah you know what i'm saying and like were you 
used me as a wedge to sort of like soften the blow of this breakup. Yeah. What I did was in my own cowardly way was use Yoko. It was like now I have the strength to leave because I know there is another uh, another side to life. That's you so know, like, strange. And he continued to yeah. compare her to Paul for the rest of his life in front of her. Like it could like the thing is like when I put myself in her position I see why she hates Paul yeah I see why she kept him away you know she spent her whole life keeping them apart I get that yeah because she's married to John like, you don't want Paul around you know it's like he's the he's her primary rival mm-hmm. so I understand that but at the same time I I get why he hates her you've spent your life degrading me and insulting me in public yeah in order to sort of protect your relationship with him like she's done that to paul so of course he hates her yeah and then on top of that she was a wedge between them being friends although it's more complicated it wasn't just her yeah you know Mm -hmm. it's, it's like there's a lot of things involved there but like a that's kind of what she signed up to do in the mm-hmm. first place. I mean, that's how those are the circumstances under which they got together. Mm-hmm. And then yep. B, what other choice does she have? <clears throat> All right, so I pulled this quote that I think is it kind of encapsulates John and Yoko's relationship to <laughs> me. <laughs> Um, These are the Q Magazine Awards, October 10th, 2005. I'll tell you a story about John. He often used to wake up in the middle of the night and ask me, why do people cover Paul's songs so much, but never mine? I used to tell him, it's because you are a talented songwriter. Mm. You don't just rhyme June with spoon. (laughs) And you are a very good singer. Lots of people would be too afraid to cover one of your songs. (laughs) Then I would make him a cup of tea and he would be okay. I just missed that sort of moment that we had. Uh. (laughs) I love how she's like, he often used to wake up in the middle of the night (laughs) and have these like episodes of obsessive insecurity about Paul. I don't know exactly what she was going for with this. Um, I think it might have just been an opportunity to publicly insult Paul, maybe like just a random dig at his songwriting. But if it was, she kind of played herself because she does not come off well in this anecdote, right? No. So, okay, so it's like, first of all, so your husband used to often wake up in the middle of the night thinking about Paul. Okay. Okay. (laughs) And then, so... She, instead of, like, just telling him the truth, you know, which is just like, well, your songs are very personal, and, you know, they're heavily associated with you, and they're very yeah. autobiographical, so, and, and whereas Paul's songs are more universal, and sometimes, you know, the vocal lines on Paul's songs are more appealing to singers who like to show off their vocal range a little bit. Right. You know, so it's like his songs are fun to cover. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're so and, much fun to sing. And they're fun to sing. And also they're, you know, the lyrics are more universal and a lot of people can sing them and men and women can sing them and whatever. Right. So instead of like saying, listen, honey, you're an amazing talent, but it's just different. You know, you guys are right. just different. And like your stuff is very personal. Instead of 
telling him the truth, she just like panders to his fragile ego and oh, says, yeah. don't worry. It's because they're all jealous of you, honey. It's well, because Paul is a, t- is a hack. <laughs> like, right. He's a two-bit what? hack, so his songs are easier to sing, which actually his songs are not easier to sing or cover. It, like, your lyrics are too good. Like, people are <laughs> too intimidated by your good lyrics. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I feel bad that that helped John in those moments to hear something like that, apparently. Or at least that's what she's telling us. Well, and that's the thing is, like, she's not even saying it. She's not even like, oh, let me tell you this very embarrassing story about John being insecure. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? She's like, oh, yeah. I just missed that. It's like, wow, okay, you missed that? Is that how you guys bonded over, like, you reassuring John that he was better than Paul and that he made the right choice and he sh- that, like his he's better off without him, basically? Right. That kind of sounds like that's her whole role. I know. As yeah. White, you know? <laughs> right. Here are a few excerpts from May Pang's book, Loving John. Um, she was an employee of John Yoko's, who later became John's girlfriend. And this first quote is from the Imagine period when May was working as John and Yoko's assistant. Soon after they moved into the St. Regis, John and Yoko had a meeting with me. John explained that he wanted Yoko to get as much favorable press as possible. The plan was established in the setting up of interviews. The writers would meet John and Yoko together. John would discuss how badly Yoko was being perceived. Then he would get up after a while and leave the interviewer alone with Yoko. Before any interview, I was to chat with the reporter and then brief Yoko about the reporter's prejudices and the topics to talk about or stay away from. Yoko had watched John, whom reporters always found funny and likable, and during her interviews, she played the role of a charming, likable, subdued woman. All the journalists who met her told me afterward how, despite their preconceptions about her, they found her to be a lovely human being. For the press and for anyone who would listen, John and Yoko spoke with total conviction about how they loved each other, how much support they gave each other, and how wondrous their devotion to each other was. They said it, they meant it, they believed it. They were on. I believe they did love each other, but their love was unlike any concept of love I have known or read about. They spent enormous amounts of time in bed together, and they rarely kissed or touched. As far as I could see, there was nothing sensual about their relationship. I had met other couples involved in rock and roll, and it was natural for them to caress each other. Not John and Yoko. They behaved more like children snuggling against each other to (laughs) ward off any demons that might be loose in the night. Um, And then these are from 1975, shortly after John and Yoko have reunited after being separated for 18 months and almost divorced, um, John is still sleeping with May on the side at this point. The other John was horrible. A few days after our official breakup, when we were lying in bed, he turned to me and said, I think you should know that Yoko wants to announce to the press that we are back together. We discussed a number of statements to make. We've decided to say that the separation failed. Hmm. He looked at me with the same quizzical expression he used when he wanted my reaction to a mix or a piece of ad copy or a mock-up of a record jacket cover. 
I couldn't believe that he wanted my approval of his press statement and said nothing. John lay there staring at me, waiting nervously for my reaction. I think it's fine, I said finally. Good, he smiled, delighted by my positive reaction. His insensitivity amazed me. Always one to be hurt, he refused to deal with how much I could be hurt by being involved in that discussion. The quote appeared in Newsweek a few days later. Uh, you do have some sort of news, I understand. Yeah, well, I, I would like really to dedicate this whole album to my very special friend and wife, Yoko, who you might not have heard that I am living with. And uh, as, as I put it, our separation was a failure. And here's a passage from a couple weeks later. Then John gave a long interview to Rolling Stone. I didn't want to be mentioned, and I'm glad I wasn't. In it, John said that Yoko and he had met backstage at the Elton John concert, and that the meeting had been a surprise. He said that they had looked silently at each other while the photographers went wild, and that in that moment of silence, it was obvious to everyone around them that they were very much in love. I knew none of it had ever happened. So did John. I couldn't stand the fact that he wasn't playing straight with me, the public, or himself. I couldn't stand the truth either, that what he really wanted to do was tell those lies. A few days later, he called and said, I've been talking to the press, you know. I've had to say a few things. I'm sure you'll understand. I understand, I replied slowly. I really do understand. And then a final passage from May. John ran into May shortly after Sean was born around Christmas of 1975 at a bar mm-hmm. called Ashley's in New York. Um, John and Yoko were out with Peter Boyle and his girlfriend Lorraine Altman, and May was on a date upstairs <laughs> at the bar. <laughs> and um, John, who had apparently been looking for May a few weeks earlier, which she found out from Tony King, hmm. um, approached her at the bar, and this is what May has to say. We made small talk for another few minutes. Every so often I looked into the mirror. Yoko's eyes hadn't left me. Just to explain what's going on here, there's a mirror like on the ceiling or something where they can see downstairs. And so May has a view of Yoko watching her <laughs> from like a corner of the, of the restaurant. That's so. not awkward at all. Yeah, right? <laughs> okay. So John comes up to her and like interrupts her date talks to her and then says I gotta go and runs away <laughs> okay then John said I gotta go back as <laughs> as he turned I watched him in the mirror and I saw Yoko's eyes fixed on my back ten minutes later he came back I want to remind you that whatever you read in interviews that I give about our time together are things I have to say you know how I really feel about you you know why I have to say those things, he told me. Once again, I said nothing. Every time I read those interviews about John's lost weekend, I hurt. But I knew that John cared more about pleasing Yoko than respecting my feelings. I knew saying something would change nothing. So, you know, all of their imaging is meticulously calculated. And there's a reason that John is always described as real and honest. Mm-hmm. And he and Yoko deliberately marketed him that way when they were spinning all of this PR about themselves. And it's mostly worked because most Beatle fans 
and even some authors still mm-hmm. believe and perpetuate the vast majority of Yoko's PR. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. The Lost Weekend, the House Husband Years, mm-hmm. uh, the fact that John and Yoko were starting over in 1980 on a second honeymoon, even though Yoko was already with Sam Havitoy and she moved in with him the night John was killed and they were together for the next 20 years. Yeah. I mean, every, it's it that's out in the open at this point. Everybody knows that. It's not even a secret. Yeah. And you know, for the millionth time, this is not Russian collusion or WMDs or you know, who cares, right? Like I know that there are way more important problems out there in the world. <laughs> so yeah. believe me, I know that. I know that. Yeah. But in terms of their bullshit polluting the Beatles story, it mm. matters. It does. And it, and it should matter to Beatles fans, and it definitely should be an issue for Beatles authors. Yeah. If the if John and Yoko are just a product that Yoko sells, which it is, I mean, their mm-hmm. story, you know, their romance and all that sort of stuff, it's a commodity, then, like, so be it. It's a free country. This is, I'm not, this isn't Consumer Reports or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, it doesn't, you know, who cares? I don't care. If you like it, buy it. And you can, you know, it's like, I, I'm not here like, you got to know the truth, man. <laughs> John and Yoko, you're living in a fantasy world. Like, I don't care. Live in the fantasy world. It doesn't, that's fine. But you if, can do that. If you're going to be a chronicler of the Beatles history and the history after the band dissolved, I think it's important to be critical about this stuff as well. Don't buy into it hook, line, and sinker without questioning it because it damaged other people. I'm just saying, Beatles authors, y'all need to step your game up. <laughs>